0: KCSB-FM, Santa Barbara, 91.9. This is Inside Isla Vista, a special edition, shining the spotlight on our contributing show host, Dick Flax. One of KCSB's longest-running programmers has been recognized for his lifelong passion for left-wing activism. As an emeritus professor of sociology at UC Santa Barbara, Dick Flax also enjoyed a long and notable career in academia. His weekly radio show, Culture of Protest, which primarily focuses on the connection between music and creative expression and movements for social change, has been airing on KCSB for more than four decades. He's also a monthly host of this show, Inside Isla Vista. Around 20 years ago, Dick and his wife, the late Mickey Flax, played a key role in nurturing what has become the Santa Barbara Community Action Network. SB CAN is a progressive nonprofit that bridges the divide between environmental and social justice movements across North and South Santa Barbara County. SB CAN recently honored Flax for his dedication to the organization. On tonight's show, you'll hear a conversation from the SB CAN tribute, which took place in November at El Paseo Restaurant. Santa Barbara County Supervisor Joan Hartman opened the event, sharing how the Flaxes gave her confidence and support when she first ran for 3rd District Supervisor. Then came a conversation with investigative journalist Melinda Burns. You can listen to that conversation now, starting with Dick introducing Melinda. One of
1: the staff suggestions for the program was the idea that there'd be a little dialogue interview with me and so I thought, well, the logical person to do this is Melinda Burns. Melinda and I go back quite a while. Melinda should have gotten a Pulitzer surprise during her years at the news press. You, you might remember her series of articles about the Mixtec uh, Indians and their migration as workers up the coast of, uh, of, of the West Coast that she followed with them and and did this magnificent series about that. It's just one thing she did during that time. And the other thing about her as a staff member is that when the news press mess became uh, evident, she was a lead person in organizing a, a union for the reporter's staff, the editorial staff of the news press, for which, of course, she was fired illegally by the then billionaire owner. Be, beware of billionaire owners. That's one of one of the lessons of life. So anyway, Melinda has continued to be uh, a, a clear, excellent reporter on various uh, dimensions of our experience. Uh, we've collaborated a lot in ways I'm not even mentioning. And it's just my honor to have you uh, come up here, Melinda. And
2: here, um, talking to such an eminent person in the community and all of the electeds and other eminent people who are here. It's I love this place, I love Santa Barbara, and um, I love my job, which I continue doing. Um, so uh, just a note about the bank burning and the, sort of the timing of that back when Mickey and Dick arrived here in Santa Barbara in 1970, it was just, they, they arrived just a few weeks after the bank burning, and yet and still the, the Santa Barbara News Press um, took the occasion to try to tie Dick to the bank burning. Um, we had talked about starting off with maybe some reminiscences of the Thursday Club. Do you want to start there?
1: The Thursday Club is something that almost by accident happened. We were here for a couple of years and realizing that a lot of the people who were graduating from UCSB and who had been active uh, in, in sort of radical activism while in college wanted to stay in Santa Barbara. They thought this was a great place to be, and at that time, uh, housing costs weren't at all like they are now. You could actually live here uh, on in a somewhat uh, modest economic way. So I I began to think, well, let's get together all these people and talk about what kind of social change and institutional change might be a good thing for Santa Barbara, and what could each of them contribute to that. And that was what we started to do on Thursday evenings in our living room. And pretty soon, individuals, small groups of people who were gathered, began to come in with written proposals for what they were going to do. Like, we could have an alternative weekly paper in town. We could have a uh, legal uh, collective that would actually represent uh, the the protest movement and the young people and tenants and so forth. We could have uh, an environmental activist uh, framework. And so, pretty soon, these proposals were brought to the group critical discussion happened, and the the group eventually dissipated into these projects, some of which we are still the beneficiaries of, like, as Joan mentioned, the Independent derives from that. The Community Environmental Council derived from that, uh, and a great many other uh, people were enabled by that initial experience, I think. Figure out how they could live here and make a difference. So that's the answer to that. And uh, I, I wouldn't have thought it was that important until some people, writing their own memoirs of how they, what, of their activist lives in Santa Barbara, talked about that experience. So I began to think well, this is a, a good way to organize people at the beginning of some processes to get people together and say, what do we need to do? Let's not pass resolutions. Let's not form an organization. Let's just see what ideas we can brainstorm about. The brainstorm is what I like to call it. And it's a very professorial role to play politically, I I think.
2: So in the book, you describe how at the end of the 1960s, when you left Chicago, the student movement was breaking apart and the leaders of it were um, moving towards ideas of making revolution. And you did not believe that revolution was around the corner. You have said that y- y- you believe in what you've called the long march, uh, making a democratic transformation step by step working within the community and the institutions where you live. And you you said that you found value and joy in doing this. And I quote, building social institutions, like any construction work, enables you to point to something in the world and say, I helped put that there. So what is one of, or what are some of the things that you point to and feel happiest about here?
1: So SBTAN is foregrounded because that's where we we are right now. And uh, this wasn't our idea at all. It was really Joyce Howerton, who's, I'm very happy to say, here. (laughs) And there's Joyce, who grew up in Lompoc. And she's sitting up there, and she's saying time after time, we're isolated up here, we progressive and liberal and Democrats. We're isolated. We have no support. We, we get a drumbeat of, of corporate and, and right-wing stuff hitting the, the, the world we're in. You could, The people on the South Coast, you're, you've are you got resources. Why don't you start moving north? So that's where the idea of can came from. And it was seen as a, a bridge between North and South County. And in fact, I was going to say that Jones District is is a bridge just like that. Uh, and One of the reasons I wanted her to speak today was because she's in a battle in her district coming up electorally, and although we're a 501c3 we don't endorse, we have a good feeling when she's in office and not a good I think that's allowed under tax law. So, And the other bridge is between environmental movement and social justice movement, which Still is a fraught area of tension and so forth, but I think we help make that bridge happen in the wider community. And to, the way I see can now, primarily, is it's a it's a framework that allows for coalition to really evolve countywide and within the different regions of the county. Uh, and there are a number of th- those coalitions that uh, we're, we're a part of. And we'll see more about that when we introduce the speakers in in what we're calling the panel for the future in in a minute. So that was one institution building thing. The other thing that I would mention that I'm proud of is the UCSB situation. Harvey Mollich is here. Rich Applebaum is here. Beth Schneider is here. We are now all, we're, we're, we're all, we're retired sociologists, but I think we helped put together a fairly unique um, kind of academic department in sociology and in academia, uh, one that was open to the community. That was what I think all four of us have in common. We wanted to link our work in a community and our work as scholars, as teachers, as social scientists. And I think all all of those people I mentioned have been very made tremendous contributions doing that. And that's the kind of departmental spirit we built. There were other things we did at UCSB. I had a lot of uh, involvement in changing the admissions model at UCSB from use of the SAT and uh, meritocratic definition to uh, what we now have, which is the most diverse public university in the country and also, uh, highly selective, and uh, that was, that's work that, read the book and you'll see what, what I claim we did about that. The point about making history, making blinces is pretty fundamental, and I learned a lot about this from her. If you're going to work for social change, but think that your duty is to be a totally committed political person. How are you experiencing the life of ordinary people in the society? And I think we have a lot of experience with activists who end up being sort of cut off from the from the daily life of the people they claim to be speaking for or organizing. So we we were able to see this early because we'd already started to have kids and and a family when SDS was underway, but we felt you, could, you needed to balance the political and the personal. That's what the meaning of that phrase ends up being. And I don't know if we provide any good model for that, but at least that was the theme
2: that we I were I think trying to... uh, you said, or you... It's it sort of intimated in the book that Tom Hayden admired you and, and Mickey because you were able to do that, because... Well, you... well,
1: well, Tom was the exemplary person who had the opposite view. He used to preach when he was young we need total commitment. We need total, he would sometimes say, really fanatical commitment to make change. And we would then, behind the scenes, say, "What? what about this? You know, the, the point I was just making. Eventually, he he famously got married several times, and uh, <laughs> and he had his own children, and he, he came to see. I think he did honor us and in, 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 in respected the path we took. I'm not saying that his model isn't often necessary in the midst of struggle, but we have to recognize it's not the only way to be a contributor. In fact, we've all been working for years together and separately on how do we develop that kind of human balance between having a life that's fulfilling and enriching and fun, if possible, at the same time, seriously trying to make sure that our lives make a difference in terms of changing the world, starting with the community. And that's one of the things I'm proud of about Santa Barbara is that people thought making change in this weird place really made a difference beyond the local, the local scene. Rich Apple used to say, we're the hinge of history, which he was joking about, but in a way, there's been some truth in that.
2: Last question. Um, you say that you're not an optimist. But you uh, try to find space for hope. Right. So yeah. in these times of peril, how can we keep hope alive, both the old people and the young people sitting over there?
1: Well, it's a great question because I'm not sure I even have the answer. And I like that distinction between optimism and hope. People think, oh, they always say, you Dick, you're such an optimist. And I say, no, I actually am not. You wanted to make me bet on the future, I would not necessarily bet on the best outcomes, the way things are now organized. But I don't see how we can live, and I say this as someone now effing 85 years old, I I want to have some hope before I depart the, the planet. And it isn't simply a wish, because I think whenever we're in the midst of a social process, we can find some of the dynamics that offer paths toward a better situation, a better a better world. Uh, this current war crisis in the Middle East is one of the worst moments that I've seen in, in recent years for that. And I was actually thinking, well, one thing at least, let's have fun today. And because we all need, we need that right now, don't we? We need a sense of community. At least that is a source of hope. All right. Hey, thank you, Melinda. Thank
0: you very much. That was KCSB's Dick Flax speaking about his life in academia and as a radical activist with investigative journalist Melinda Burns. Dick Flax was honored by SB Can recently for his lifelong dedication to progressive causes. This is Inside Isla Vista. I'm Lisa Osborne. Today we're recognizing Dick Flax for his many accomplishments. He's had a radio show on KCSB for over 40 years. Culture of Protest primarily focuses on the connection between music and creative expression and movements for social change. A few years ago, when Dick and his late wife, Mickey Flax, wrote their memoir, they were interviewed by KCSB news reporter Harry Lawton. Here's a portion of that conversation, talking about their book, Making History, Making Blinces: How Two Red Diaper Babies Found Each Other and Discovered America. One show note, in the conversation, Harry Lawton refers to Dick's show by another name, but the radio program he's talking about is Culture of Protest.
3: In this third and final part of the long interview with Mickey and Dick Flax about their dual autobiography, making history and making Blinces, the Flaxes settled in Santa Barbara at a time of dramatic events. The oil blowout of 1969 the explosion of violence in Isla Vista and the continual social activism of the couple, academically and in society at large. It was after the murder's attack on Dick Flax in his Chicago office requiring a year of rehabilitation that, as Dick put it, sealed the deal for him and his family to accept a generous offer from the UCSB Sociology Department. The way had been prepared by an old friend and colleague, Harvey Molotch, who had recently been appointed to that same department. There were family reasons for coming to California. Mickey's brother and family were living in Los Angeles, and this seemed a good place to bring out their elderly parents. But these were interesting times also for Santa Barbara, as this activist couple was immediately to realise. For one thing, a huge oil spill had erupted just off the coast in 1969, despoiling the area's beaches and also launching the National Environmental Movement with the founding of the lobby group GOO, or Get Oil Out. Furthermore, the Flaxes were not allowed simply to come to town and settle down to work, without fuss or bother. In those days the town was a republican fiefdom, run by a strong conservative establishment. It was also something of a comfortable hideout for members of the far-right John Birch Society, who loudly protested the university's decision to appoint such a dangerous radical who would poison the minds of their children. The local news press, which ironically a few years earlier had won a Pulitzer for exposing some of the more nefarious activities of the John Birch Society, launched a vicious attack against Flax's appointment, something he didn't really take lying down. Even Governor Reagan, who had his own history of clashing with the University of California, got into the act.
1: I'm not sure what they pr- They printed the fact that I was hired at the university even though I was known as a founder of the Students for Democratic Society, by at which point in time had a reputation as a center of violent rebellion, the SDS. And so how could I be justifiably hired here? And then there was a flood of endless flood of letters day after day in the news press, uh, complaining, most of them negative, about my hiring. All public officials at that time Members of the city council, the county board of supervisors, legislation, legislator—all were conservative Republicans. Everybody, yeah. every single one. Yeah. And, and Reagan personally attacked the, my appointment. and made this wonderful comment that Mickey, Mickey claims she can quote it. <laughs> okay. The
2: reporters. Well, they asked him about what about this this Richard Flax, SDS being hired, and he said, "Well, they tell me he's a very good uh, scientist, social scientist." But it seems to me that hiring him is like hiring a pyromaniac to work in a firecracker factory.
1: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, even, even though he's a good fuse
3: maker. Right. <laughs> then the student redoubt of Isla Vista became national news. With the accidental burning of the local Bank of America, the occupation of the I.V. by sheriff officers from distant counties in the state, and somehow, the news press managed to tie the name of Dick Flax to these events. The name of the lawyer, William Kunstler, may not be familiar to all listeners, but he too appears in this distorted narrative. Dick did not take these false accusations lying down. They
1: printed an editorial after the burning of the bank. Who is responsible for this? And they listed William Kunstler, the lawyer uh, for the Chicago Conspiracy Indeed. trial Indeed. came here to speak. People were named, and, and Richard Flax, who they they implied I brought Kunstler here, which was completely untrue. So we went. Harvey Molich and I went down there to meet the editor, and I said, uh, "You didn't check. With, you didn't check with me. You're printing this stuff, which is very dangerous. You're saying I was responsible for for this uh, event." And um, if you if you don't print a retraction, I'll have to take other measures. Which I later, but, M- Mickey and I speculated, they thought I was going to burn down the, the building. He was he was to their credit, they they did give me a chance to respond. And to I'm
3: have sure. himself in, portrayed as a bomb throwing radical was a new experience for Dick Flax. It was impossible for him to reconcile the portrait painted of him in a certain section of the press with his own view of himself, and in fact with the principles of SDS as drawn up in the Port Huron Statement. Dick could proudly call himself a radical in that he was certainly working towards a fundamental social renewal, but an anarchist bomb-thrower, no.
1: I I never had been in a position until I got here of being portrayed in the media in a way that was quite different from my own subjective view of who I was. Uh, And having to cope with this public image and and a, and a dangerous one. In other words, um, this was a bomb-throwing revolutionary type who would come here. I had students uh, who would say, I took your class because you're a radical, but I don't see it. I said, well, what do you mean? You're <laughs> How com- disappointing. You're so calm and rational. So that, and that's part of what was interesting <laughs> by this the is, early 70s yeah. is the word radical in in the popular culture conveyed... You know, this idea of, uh, of extreme extremism, fanaticism, crazy, yeah, crazy yeah, behavior. Yeah, yeah. And I was proud to be
3: myself, call myself a radical, but I, yeah.
1: the stereotype became an interesting
3: problem When Mickey and Dick first arrived in Santa Barbara and were driven around Isla Vista, he sensed that if you pack nearly 20,000 young people away from home for the first time, together with all the attractions and temptations of the counterculture, at some point an eventual explosion seemed inevitable. Added to crowded living conditions and high rents, there was also the war in Vietnam, the fear of the draft, the general dissatisfaction with the drift of society, which is hardly absent from contemporary life today. Into this mix, we must place the role of KCSB Radio in this period, broadcasting independent reports on the police curfew, the presence of armed officers on the streets of Isla Vista, people... Injured in sundry encounters, independent reporting from an upstart student uh, station located on the very edge of the action did not sit well with the local forces of law and order.
1: The KCSB uh, ha- had an important moment in all of that. There were three big rebellions that spring in Isla Vista. I guess it was the third one where KCSB had reporters in the field in Isla Vista reporting on what was happening in the street, curfew, and students were defying it, and the police were roaming around in, in patrol cars and dump trucks and so forth. So the sheriff uh, came into the station, or came came to the administration, and said, if you don't shut that station down, we will shut it down. I think it's the only time in American history that a sheriff ordered the shutdown of a of a radio station, and the administration... I suppose, fearing that he would actually damage the station physically, complied, they ordered the station shut down. And what happened is kind of interesting. So KPFK, which is an independent station in L.A., said, well, since they've shut down KCSB, we will receive these reports. And what they did was get reports by any old people off the street calling on the phone. The sheriff as I understand it, came to realize that the more disciplined journalism of KCSB was better to have than this wild rumor-filled stuff that was going out all over Southern California uh, from from KPFK. So the station came back. I don't know uh, how, after how many hours, but uh, that's an important story that listeners of KCSB should. And I think
3: it played another role, too, to get the message out in case there was any danger. Well,
1: that was the idea well, yeah. that the sheriff was afraid of. I mean, yeah. He didn't want their troop movements to be reported on the air, but that was, of course, important for yeah. for the people living yeah. there.
3: From these upheavals, discussions then took place, place about bringing f- some form of governance, even democracy, to Isla Vista. It's taken 50 years or so But finally, there is now a community service board which serves as a kind of town council to deal with the needs of the community. KCSB plays a role here also in the Wednesday programme Inside Isla Vista for which Dick is one of the hosts. For 36 years ago, Dick Flax has also hosted the Politics and Culture Show which marries two major interests of his popular music and the politics of the times. Dick describes how politics and culture came about. And I was fascinated to read the origins of that and uh, your relationship with Corey Dubin, late, lamented, and a wonderful guy, and who also worked for KPFK in Los Angeles.
1: Well, Corey was a radio guy, yes. He got his start here at KCSB, but he eventually worked for a while at at Pacifica Radio, KPFK. And we have a whole chapter about politics and music in the book. Both of us, one of the ways we bonded as... Uh, from the beginning was over in shared interest in music as a form of not only pleasure but co- uh, political, social expression and so we collected a lot of recordings of music from the civil rights movement or from the labor movement, folk music all that kind of stuff I, uh, and Corey invited me to come to LA to, to on a Labor Day or no, May Day a May Day uh which is Labor Day. Well, May first, yeah, May first, not not American Labor Day. Right, right. Um, to do a show which would combine discussion and music, a couple of hours on the air, so I brought some music down and we did that. And I guess soon after that, he came back to KP, KCSB as the uh, public affairs director, and he said, "Dick, with your record collection, why don't you do a, a series uh, of?" of Political music programs on K, on on KCSB. So that was the June of 1982. So and he said he would engineer it, and we we actually taped the first few. And then one day he says, "Next week you're going on live, and you're going to engineer your own show." Which I doesn't sound like much, but to me it was you know I'm I'm terrible, not an athlete. I never skied. The the sort of tension of actually playing my own records and talking at the same time it was exciting and, and demanding enough for my taste anyway I got to really like this but more than the the fact that I was on the radio because I never knew that anyone was listening now it was the learning that I was doing to have to prepare these programs week after week I, I began to see that there was a, a vast not only history around the world of music of protest but an ongoing um, creativity that I had not that much knowledge of when I started. So the program has given me a chance, and I started to teach a course around this topic of music and and politics, wrote a book about it. So that radio show has been an important uh, educational experience for me.
0: That's KCSB's Harry Lawton speaking with Dick Flax and his late wife, Mickey Flax, about their memoir, Making History, Making Blinces*: How Two Red Diaper Babies Found Each Other and Discovered America. You've been listening to Inside Isla Vista with a focus on longtime KCSB-FM programmer and emeritus professor of sociology, Dick Flax read more about Dick's storied career in Nick Welsh's 2006 cover story in the Santa Barbara Independent. That's back when Dick retired from UCSB. Just go to independent.com and search for the headline UCSB's most dangerous professor. I'm Lisa Osborne. This is Inside Isla Vista. Thanks for listening. Our theme music is Siesta by Jawser. You can catch a replay of this program and our other Isla Vista shows and KCSB news stories at soundcloud.com slash kcsbfm.